This is K.M. Wyland, and you are listening to the 337th episode of the Helping Writers Become Authors podcast. Last week, I mentioned the new Word Players group I've started to allow writers to access exclusive review copies of my writing books, as well as giveaways and a special Facebook writing group. Well, I'm also pleased to share that I'm doing the same thing for my fiction with the Super Readers group. So if you happen to be a reader of my fiction, historicals like my medieval novel, Behold the Dawn, fantasy like Dreamlander, and everything in between, like my diesel punk aerial adventure storming, then you can grab free review copies right now, as well as early access to future books, among other cool things like giveaways and a reading group. So if you're interested, you can jump by my site at kmwyland, that's W-E-I-L-A-N-D, dot com slash super dash readers. And if you want to join the word players group instead, or as well, you can find that at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com slash become dash a dash word player. Now, in other news, the latest post on my blog is how to control reader reactions to character sins. So let's say your protagonist just messed up. And we're talking unforgivable sins here. If you're worried you may have pushed your readers too far, then here's where you can learn how to control reader reactions. So visit my site at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com to check that out. And now I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast entitled Everything You Need to Know About Writing a Third-Person POV. Chances are good you're using a third-person POV or point of view in your story right now. And if not, then you likely used it in the past or will give it a try in the future. It's a nearly universal writing technique and the most popular of all the POV choices. But are you using it correctly? Not everything in writing comes easily. I often talk about how most of storytelling, particularly structure, is surprisingly instinctive for most writers. We understand it on a subconscious level, to the point we're often on the right track with our books long before our conscious brains catch up. But not everything's like that. For most writers, POV isn't like that. The gist of one of the questions I most frequently receive is, POV, followed by panicked emoji. This is the POV of choice in more books than not, everything from Emma to Ender's Game. It's arguably the least complicated of the POVs, so it's a good choice for beginning writers, but it's also arguably the most flexible of the POVs, which means it's also a good choice for the most advanced and complicated of stories. In short, third-person POV is pretty awesome, but only if you understand what you're doing with it and how to properly put its mighty powers to work. So let's kick that panicked emoji to the curb and start answering your most burning and fundamental questions about the third-person POV. First off, the basics. What is this third-person POV gibberish of which I speak? A third-person POV is a narrative in which the third-person pronouns, he, she, him, her, his, hers, as well as the characters' names, are used to describe all the characters, including the protagonist and or the narrator or narrators. For example, from Patrick Rothfuss's Slow Regard of Silent Things. Opening her eyes, Ori saw a whisper of dim light, a rare thing, as she was tucked tidily away in mantle. 
her privatest of places. It was a white day then, a deep day, a finding day. She smiled, excitement fizzing in her chest. This is in contrast to first person, which uses the first person pronouns I, me, and mine, as in Rothfuss's Wise Man's Fear. Truth be told, I didn't even know her real name. Ori was just what I had come to call her. But in my heart, I thought of her as my little moon fay. The reason the third-person POV is the most flexible of all the POV choices is because it offers a variety of sub-choices within itself. There are any number of degrees to these choices, but we can break them down into three basic categories. Number one, omniscient third-person POV. Omniscient POV is a technique unto itself. Usually when writers talk about a third-person POV, they're talking about one of the following categories, which we'll talk about in a minute, rather than omniscient. But since the omniscient POV almost always uses third-person pronouns for its characters, it is technically a third-person POV. The very essence of the omniscient POV is, of course, its all-knowingness. It doesn't limit itself to a single character's head, but flows from character to character, or even beyond all the characters, sharing information that only the writer could know. Here's an example from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Once there were four children, whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. This story is about something that happened to them when they were sent away from London during the war because of the air raids. They were sent to the house of an old professor who lived in the heart of the country, ten miles from the nearest railway station, and two miles from the nearest post office. Pros of the omniscient POV would be that it allows readers to see everything by providing a panoramic view of the story. It controls the narrative outside of the character's experience, it maintains distance from any one character, and it can add dramatic irony or subtext via the contrast between the omniscience of the author or narrator and the character's quote-unquote finite perspectives. Now, the cons of the omniscient POV would be that it creates distance from the characters. Sometimes it can create reader disorientation by accidentally delving into what we call head-hopping, and it definitely can require compensation in um, great thematic questions, dramatic irony, or really excellent prose to kind of make up for the narrative distance. Number two, distant limited third-person POV. A limited third-person POV is one that eschews omniscience and confines the narrative to only one character's perspective at a time. It's possible to employ multiple limited third-person POVs, but the changes between POVs must be clearly indicated via scene breaks. If you've seen the trailer for that new movie, Hardcore Henry, which riffs off third-person shooter video games, in which you see only what the protagonist sees, that's limited third-person POV. What's found in the narrative is only what the narrating character himself experiences, only what he sees, tastes, touches, smells, or thinks. However, remember, this is also a distant POV, which means that while you're limiting the perspective to a single character, you're not in his head in the same way you would be in a deep POV, which we'll talk about next. What this usually comes down to is that you're going to be erring more on the side of telling about this character rather than actively showing his experience. 
For example, consider this excerpt from London by Edward Rutherford. Silver Sleeves had only gone three miles from the castle gates when he wished he hadn't. The sun had been out while he left that June morning, but now it was raining hard. As the lush meadows all around roared with the din of falling water, and the raindrops gathered on the end of his nose, he cut a sorry figure. The pros of distant, limited third-person POV include the fact that it creates a tighter narrative compared to omniscience, it allows for deeper connection between narrating characters and readers, and it simultaneously allows for more distance than in a deep POV, which can be a pro depending on the story and the character. And it sometimes allows for narrative, quote-unquote, explaining from the author, for example, a backstory, setting information, etc. Now, the cons of distant, limited, third-person POV is that it keeps readers at arm's length from the characters, it often creates a narrative that tells more than shows, and it's rarely going to be as colorful as a deep third has the ability to be. Number three, deep third-person POV. So just as its name suggests, the deep, or it's sometimes called the close third-person POV, allows you to go deep into your narrating character's head. In essence, this technique is no different from the first-person POV, save for the differing pronouns. So you can think of it like this. Every word in a deep POV is coming straight out of your character's head. You're trying to create the experience for the reader's of actually being your narrating character. As a result, deep third person finds its greatest strengths when the narrating character provides a unique and vibrant narrative voice in which everything he experiences or thinks is shown to readers rather than simply told. For example, in a distant narrative, you might write, he cut a sorry figure, as Rutherford does in the previous example. But in a deep narrative, you would instead show why the character felt like a sorry figure. For example, he slogged through the mud, his hair plastered his temples, his fine new clothes were filthy, and his nose was running egregiously. This was a fine state in which to be meeting the Countess. So as an example of deep third person, consider this excerpt from Paladin of Souls by Lois McMaster Bujold. She leaned between the crenellations again, the stone abrading the lavender sleeves of her court morning dress, catching at its silk threads. Her eye followed the road in the morning light, starting from the stones below and flowing downhill, through the town, past the river, and where? All roads were one road, they said, a great net across the land, parting and rejoining. All roads ran two ways, they said. I want a road that does not come back. The pros of deep third person include the fact that it grants readers complete access to the narrating character, it offers the potential for a strong narrative voice, and it demands more showing than it does telling. But the cons include the fact that it does limit narrative to a single character at any given time, and it puts more pressure on creating excellent characterization, and it can definitely be more wordy due to its emphasis on showing. Now, before we move on, I must offer a word of caution. The three categories I've presented here are the three obvious distinctions found within the third-person POV, but that does not mean they are always distinct. As Nancy Kress says in Characters, Emotion, and Viewpoint, it's important to emphasize that close, middle, and distant third-person viewpoints are not really separate and discrete categories. Rather, they're a continuum 
just as a camera moving progressively farther away from a film subject would have no absolute point labeled far. The terms are relative and flexible. Now, before we leave the subject, let us take a look that's a little, well, deeper into deep third person. Deep third is a little more complicated than limited third person. So before you dive into your third person narrative, here are four important aspects to keep in mind. Number one, narrative voice. Your ability to bring your narrating character to life through the voice on the page is one of the greatest benefits of deep third person, just as it is and must be with first person. If you're going to succeed in giving readers the impression they're in this character's head, then every word in the narrative must be spoken in this character's voice. Don't settle for a bland voice. Search and experiment until you can bring that special quote-unquote it quality to the narrative from the very first page. As in this example from A Stand-Up Guy by Michael Snyder. It was obviously Oliver's turn to speak, but every time he opened his mouth, the sluicing roar of adrenaline made it impossible to focus on forming words. His addled brain peppered him with unanswerable questions. When did she come in? How much did she hear? What did she thought of his material? What must she think of him, not to mention his idiotic uniform? The question he finally settled on was, so, how may I help you? But it came out like, so, what are you doing here anyway? Number two, showing versus telling. Out of all the POVs, deep third and first, put perhaps the most emphasis upon showing rather than telling. So you want to avoid quote-unquote telling verbs, such as saw, observed, noticed, heard, smelled, tasted, felt, thought. Instead, you want to show what your narrator is experiencing. So instead of saying he felt angry, you want to show him going all green rage monster and throwing crates at the wall. Instead of saying he smelled burnt bread, you want to describe the scent of char. Instead of saying he saw a disturbance on the street, describe the brawlers and the flash of lights on the cop cars. This is a great example from Cinder by Marissa Meyer. A stained tablecloth divided Cinder from browsers as they shuffled past. The square was filled with shoppers and hawkers, children and noise. The bellows of men as they bargained with robotic shopkeepers, trying to talk the computers down from their desired profit margins. The hum of ID scanners and monotone voice receipts as money changed accounts. The net screens that covered every building and filled the air with the chatter of advertisements, news reports, gossip. Number three, using, but not abusing, narrative. Especially in a deep POV, it can be tempting to allow the character's internal narrative to do the heavy lifting. Now, granted, this is sometimes not only acceptable, but unavoidable, if you're going to properly advance the character's inner growth. However, whenever you find yourself writing paragraph upon paragraph about how your character feels or in which he explains the situation to readers, you'll want to double back and consider ways in which you can dramatize these events. Show readers what's going on and use your subtext to strengthen the overall reading experience. Here's an example from Duchess by Susan May Warren. Palace Studios had bleached her hair to starlight white, plucked her eyebrows clear off her face, and penciled in a line of black. They'd framed her lips in a blood-red Cupid's bow and honed her figure into something that added mystery and allure under her teal-blue satin evening gown. But it's not real, she said. It's not me. 
Make it, you doll. If this is what you want, you'll have to become Miss Roxy Price. The actress in the mirror found a smile for him, nodded. Number four, multiple POVs. Just because you happen to be deep inside your protagonist's head doesn't mean his is the only head you can explore. You may choose to use multiple deep third-person POVs, or even a mix of third and first person, as Charles Dickens did in Bleak House. This allows you to get around many of the limitations of the form by showing other characters' perspectives as well. However, always consider carefully, for every POV you gain, you also risk a little something in overall narrative, cohesion, and focus. To quote the Roman poet Horace, nothing is beautiful from every point of view. So never give a character a POV just because. Always consider the overall effect you're trying to achieve in the narrative. Will this extra POV enhance or weaken that effect? And when you do include them, make sure that they both have distinct and interesting voices of their own and that you're indicating a scene break in between every POV to clearly indicate to readers when you're switching. Here's an example from Indivisible by Kristen Heitzman. Pain speared. Tia's foot slipped and the other leg buckled. Her staff tumbled over rocks and juniper as her hand scraped, her cheek burned, her head and shoulder banged. She grasped for tree trunks, ripping bark and moss in the flesh of her palms before she lodged with a thud in the crook of the ravine. Scene break. Piper paced. It was way past time for Tia to call or come home. Even if there'd been an emergency, wouldn't she make contact? Piper fingered her phone. She'd left three messages. No response. She looked out through the streaming pane. The third-person POV is a magnificently complex and flexible technique that adapts itself to any number of skill levels or narrative requirements. A mastery of the third-person POV will allow you to write a story that instantly conveys to readers they're safely in the hands of a master storyteller. Thank you for listening to the Wordplay Podcast. To read a transcript of this episode, you can visit my website at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. And be sure to check back again next week.